You're too young to have a senior moment like that. I have that happen to me all the time. What was I saying? What was my, what's my name, right? Or, uh, welcome to Grace Point today on this wonderful 70-degree day in November. Amen? Probably won't happen again in five more years or whatever. Vicki and I were up in uh, Fargo the last couple days uh, visiting some of our kids and our grandson, Rowan, and I tell you what, I was out in T-shirt in Fargo, North Dakota, walking around. I thought, this is crazy nice. Um, today, I want to do something for you. I want to uh, destroy a myth. Um, the myth goes something like this. If I could just win a lottery, get a couple million bucks, I'd be a happy person. If I could just find the right guy or gal and uh, get married, I'd be a happy person. If I could get the right career, right, get the right boss, get the right company, my life would be good. Those aren't bad things, but they are not the source of our trust or happiness. Oftentimes, they're the contrary. Not that marriage should be that way. All right, I want to qualify that really quick. Um, but oftentimes, um, they end up being things that actually hurt us to some degree. Um, this morning, we're going to read about the ancient Israelites who went from one distinct era in their history to another, and their ask was an ask that ended up being very, very harmful to them as a group of people. We'll get to that in a moment, but before we do, I want to talk to you for a few moments about some of the distinctive eras in the Old Testament uh, that lead up to the moment we're going to look at today. Um, these distinctive eras, these distinctive moments of history, whatever you want to call them, uh, are, are very informative to us on what God is up to, what the people of God were up to, and, and then how we also uh, uh, should learn what we ought to be up to. Um, first of all, there's creation, all right? The Bible begins with a creation story, and God's intention in creation was community. God's intention is community. Um, I'm a creationist. I'm a hardcore creationist. I'm unapologetic about that. I'm a six-day literal creationist. Um, I'm a science guy, too. Studied a lot. And we could get into all that kind of stuff this morning. I'm not going to, because what I want us to see here is something else in the creation story. God is triune in his revelation to us. He's God the Father, uh, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he really loves himself. He's the one being that can be in love with himself and is not egotistical. Follow what I'm saying there? The Son loves the Father, the Father loves the Son, the Holy Spirit loves the Son and the Father, and you get what I'm saying here. And there's this wonderful community. Now, out of, out of that richness and fullness of community, God created Adam, a uh, uh, being made in his image. So Adam was created with this community aspect to him. And, and God brought Adam through a learning process. Adam's very brilliant. He named all the animals. It's not like mankind started here and worked up to us. They started pretty high level intelligence, okay? And so Adam names all the animals, and God said, do you notice anything here, Adam? There's no one like you. A little bit of self-discovery. And so God, knowing Adam's of community being like he is, created Eve so that Adam would have someone to share community with. Eve is created as Adam's helper. Now, the word helper in the Hebrew means someone who comes alongside and does life together, okay? It's not like, here's Adam, and here's the little helper. Uh, that's a terrible rendition, terrible understanding of that scripture. Eve came alongside Adam, and side by side, they were going to do life together. 
And, and God, being a, a, a community God, created us in his image to enjoy community together. So that was God's intention for us to have this community. Amen? Goodness? So then sin enters into the scene and the fall. That's the next era. And we see right away sin is a community buster. It destroys the community that God intended. Sin separated Adam and Eve from God himself, wrecked that vertical relationship. It also messed up all the horizontal relationships. Right away, as you read in Genesis 3, God says, now because of sin, the wife will desire her husband. That word desire is not good. It means she'll try to control and manipulate him if the sin nature's winning in her heart. And he will rule over her harshly. He will rule over her unlovingly. That is what happened because of, the, of sin and the fall of mankind. This horizontal marriage between husband and wife meant to be reflective of the community of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is all messed up, amen? It's all messed up. But not only that, we see it even go down into the children. If you go on into Genesis chapter four, Cain and Abel are having some troubles. God likes Cain, or Abel's uh, sacrifice more than Cain's. It, it, it's, it, it, it was more reflective of the heart of God. It involved the sacrificing of blood and some of those other things like that. But at any rate, Cain gets extremely jealous of his brother, and he murders his brother. You think you have some problems with your children at home? That's problems there, amen? And we see from Genesis 3 and 4 that sin is a true community buster. Then a, a time, an era begins that we all ought to rejoice in. It's called the time of the patriarchs. God relates then to his creation in covenants. In covenants. We can't do anything in this sinful, lost condition. We, we people who are lost. So God knows, I have to begin to reach out to these uh, folk in a way that they, they can respond. And really, it's a unilateral reach out anyway. He's really unilateral in his covenants. He binds himself by his own words to do some things that ultimately lead to our redemption, and they're called covenants. So right away, in Genesis, we see God give us the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, and in this covenant, God says, your seed will ultimately bless all of creation. And Abraham's seed was Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came, he blessed all of creation because what? He took his sin upon himself. He took our sin upon himself, right? And he ushered in what was called the new covenant. And so whenever we hear the word covenant as a follower of God, we should go, yay! Because we were hopelessly lost. We couldn't even reach out to God. So God reached out to us in a form, in a way that would ultimately redeem our souls. And it was covenant. Well then, next is the era of slavery, and God is revealed as deliverer. So we, we see this era of slavery in Egypt and the Exodus, and God is revealed to us as our deliverer. Now whenever I talk about the Exodus, you gotta have Charleston Heston on there, right? Ten Commandments, let my people go, right? Um, and, 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 and so that's the imagery that we see in our, our time and age of, of Exodus and all that. But what God did at that time is illustrative of what he does for every single human being. At that time, uh, Israel was in bondage to Egypt. They were in, in slaves to Egypt. And God, by mighty signs and wonders, delivered this people from their bondage to slavery. Now, that's supposed to transcend over into our understanding of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We all in here were slaves to a hard taskmaster, the devil. We we're all slaves to sin. And Jesus Christ came and delivered us, amen? 
from that death and from that slavery. And so the Old Testament foreshadowed what God would do in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and then you have this next era for the Israelites, and that's the wandering in the desert. They refused to go into the promised land, remember that? And so God said, for 40 years then, you're gonna wander in the desert. And what, what God had for them was some wilderness lessons, some wilderness lessons. And in the wilderness, they were learning to be dependent upon him, um, they were learning how, how to uh, be reliant on him. And, you know, he sent the manna and quail the whole time they were in the desert. And, and that, that generation that refused to go in, they passed away. And the younger generation then under the leadership of Joshua went into the new promised land. Listen, if you're in a desert experience, if you're going through some hard things in your life, don't try to get out of it. Ask God what you're up to in my life. You know, like Aaron, uh, excuse me, like, uh, Pastor Dave was saying here, uh, the persecuted church says, don't pray that we don't have persecution, pray that we persevere through it. When we're in desert experiences, we shouldn't pray necessarily, God, get me out of this thing, but God, help me to persevere through it, help me to learn to be dependent upon you in it, teach me the lessons you want me to learn, because sometimes the only way we learn some things is by going to the wilderness, amen? You hear what I'm saying? It's not fun, it's probably necessary though. And then we get to the era of the judges. And that era is all about how to live by faith. It's been most of our material for this false messages, this, this, this book of Judges and the era of the Judges. Um, and we learned in the, in the era of the Judges that the people of God back in the days of Israel went through this cycle that, of course, we want to be cycle breakers, but let me go through the cycle again. They'd have this prosperity, this time of peace in their God. Things would be going well, and pretty soon complacency would, shed, uh, would set in, right? And then... The ad adoption of sin. Well, if you get complacent, you kind of forget about God, then pretty soon sin looks okay, and then God would allow consequences or pain to happen to them, and the people would get to this point of distress, and they would cry out to God, God, deliver us, and God would send a judge, a deliverer, uh, to bring the people back to himself and to deliver them from their oppressors, and the cycle would start all over again. Uh, it's over and over and over in the book of Judges. Well, we want to be cycle breakers as followers of God, right? We don't want to go from this peace and prosperity and God is good all the time, all the time, God is good kind of thing and to complacency. We want to cut that thing off at its knees and we want to be the, the people who are always seeking God's face, amen, right? We have to fight in this country apathy and complacency. We have to fight that like crazy or we'll go right into this cycle super easy. And so what we're looking at now this morning is moving from the era of the judges and into the era of the kings. Now it could be said this way, moving from the era of the judges into the error of the kings. Because it was a grave error what the people were asking for. They were asking God, give us a king like the nations around us. Now this had uh, some reasoning behind it. Samuel was getting old and he was the judge over Israel. He was a great prophet, and his sons were not following in his ways. So the people looked at the situation and said, oh, Samuel, you're getting old. Your sons don't follow in your ways. We want a king like the nations around us to lead us. And what they were asking for really is this. We want someone to provide for us, to protect us, and take care of us. And really what they were doing was rejecting God as a provider and a protector and the one who would take care of them, and they were looking to an earthly person to do what only God is supposed to do. It, to me, is as bad of a situation as Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, 
and had that curse pronounced upon them and, of course, upon us. So as Samuel draws to an end of his ministry, the people come unto him and say, Samuel, you're an old dude. (laughs) Your sons aren't doing so good. We want to request a king. We want a king appointed over us. Samuel's not for it. It breaks his heart. God's not for this. But listen to what the Lord says to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. This brings us to our big thought today, and it's simply this. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. God may grant it, but it may not be best for you. God may give it to you, but it just may not be good for your soul. Be careful what you ask for, because God just may give it to you, and it may actually prove to be harmful to you. In the Old Testament book of Numbers, we read how the Israelites complained about manna during that time of the wilderness experience. We're tired of manna. Manna's getting boring. We need some meat, God. We need some meat, God. So God sent them quail. And we're told that while the meat was still in their teeth, God then sent on them a wasting plague. Listen to Psalm 106, 15. It refers to what happened. So God gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. I want meat. I want meat. All right, God gave it to them, but here's the consequence that comes with that ask. Just for fun, I looked up on the Internet some of the history of recent lottery winners. It's a common belief in our culture, it's one of those myths, that if I just win the lottery and get 5 million bucks, 10 million bucks, 1 million bucks, whatever it is, then I'm going to live happily ever after. It is a big myth. First sad fact is this, according to Reader's Digest, 70% of the lottery winners lost what they had won in five years or less. Five years or less. I watched some of this uh, on the internet, and it showed several of them living in trailer houses. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they were living in a little trailer house. Like, do you guys like this, these new shows, like Tiny House? My wife watches those. We're never going to live in a tiny house. Uh, but at any rate, some of them looked like they had adopted a tiny house living way, whether they wanted to or not. Um, just reading about some of the winners, I begin to think, oh God, don't let me ever win the lottery. One dude was murdered. One gal OD'd on drugs. One tells out, all of her friends begin to come at her with angles of, I need this money. Can you imagine that? You have this money and all of your friends say, I could use some money. You won the money. Give me some money. One lady said, all of our friends we had are no longer our friends and we have this new social status, but we can't make friends with the new people that we're now associated with because we didn't come by our money the same way they did. They view us less than they are, blah, 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 so we have no friends. And of course, the relatives, they all come out of the woodwork. It just, it's just a mess. It didn't create serenity and peace like you think it would. It created all kinds of chaos and all kinds of hard situations. You remember that old Beatles song in the early 60s? Can't buy me love, 
Money can't buy me love, right? Can't buy me love. Right, I know that's terrible. Do you know what I'm saying? Money can't buy you love. We gotta let these myths be killed. The only thing that's gonna be contentment to our souls is Jesus Christ. Amen? These other things are all false advertisement. All false advertisement. Listen, if you're going through a hard thing right now, if you're going through something relationally hard or financially hard or whatever, job difficulties, which we all tend to go through, maybe it's, it's some kind of physical illness that you're going through, listen, don't pray to get out of it. Pray for God to be magnified in it. Pray that you learn the lessons he has for you to learn as a follower of Jesus Christ. Say, God, I want to be dependent upon you. I want this to conform myself to Jesus Christ. I want to become a person that doesn't complain. I want to become a person that perseveres. You know, begin to look at the whole situation differently. Amen? So we, just, we just think sometimes that doing well in God equals prosperity and comfort and peace. It doesn't. Usually following God wholeheartedly means you have some turmoil, some troubles, and some challenges. It's just the way it is. There's nothing wrong with that. In workouts, you like to do muscle confusion. You like to make your body stretch, and you like to make your body work harder, right? But then we get to spiritual, and we think, for some reason, that should be absent from us. It should always be challenging and hard. It just stretches to the point we can't hardly sleep at night at times, right? Because we're following God too hard. It should take us to that place. Let's dig deep into uh, what is happening here as the Israelites really, uh, when they ask for a king. See, God had a vision for them. He has a vision for us, and it's this. God wants to be king and to build his kingdom. All right? God wants to be king and to build his kingdom. The ancient Israelites consistently rejected that offer by God. I want you to listen to what John Ortberg, pastor and author of our small group materials that we're using during uh, this false spiritual emphasis on faith. I want you to listen to what he says concerning this idea that God had a vision for the ancient Israelites to be their king and to build his kingdom. Listen to what he says. Why is this request for a king such a huge problem? From the beginning of the time of the judges, God was offering Israel the opportunity to occupy the land. This is the most wonderful opportunity that has been given to human beings since the Garden of Eden. They could freely live in a community of love under the direct reign of God. This was the desire of God's heart. This was his dream for the people he had created and loved so much. Instead of having to use force, power, threats of violence to control society, which had been the story of every society since the fall, God was offering them the chance to live as free and equal subjects under his loving personal rule. This was all within their grasp. But year after year, decade after decade, they rejected this dream. In their actions and with their words, they cried out, we don't want God to be our king. We want to do it ourselves. Every time they committed idolatry, cheated uh, someone, neglected the poor, oppressed the alien, ignored the plight of a woman. They were saying to God, we have something better to do than build your kingdom. We'd rather build our own kingdom. We don't trust you to take care of us. So in asking for the, uh, a king, they were rejecting God as their king. And here is the problem that is behind this ask, the lack of trust of God the lack of trust of God. The Israelites were ready to put their hope in an earthly king to protect them, provide for them, and all that kind of stuff. He could go to war, you know, and do all these sweet things for them. It was totally 100% misplaced hope. Do you think that same kind of misplaced hope 
happens today? Do you think so? I see so many people wanting to trust the government. What's in two days? What? The elections. So many put their hope in the government. That's misplaced hope. Now, having said that, I want to take a really, really important tangent with you this morning. That doesn't mean you and I shouldn't vote. You should vote. You should be informed on the platforms of the parties. You should be informed on the issues at hand. You should go to the polls informed with a Christian worldview and cast your vote. Your voice should be heard. We have the opportunity to have our voice heard. We should do that. I know sometimes the candidates don't live up to what we want them to live up to. Saying that with a little smile on my face. I know sometimes they're not very ideal people. Look at the platforms. Look at the consequences that are outside the immediacy of the, uh, of the personalities of the ones uh, on the various parties. Look at what does it stand for? What are they promoting? What are they trying to do? And then vote accordingly. But let your voice be known. Don't sit home and say, I'm not going to vote. Vote. It does matter. Vote Christian. Vote through a Christian filter. Begin to struggle with it. What does it mean? But here's the caution. Don't put your hope there. Right? Our hope is not in the governors and the princes and the presidents of this world. Our hope is in our King, Jesus. And we're about building his kingdom. But don't let your voice be silenced. Don't let your voice be silenced, Christians. Last election we had, so many Christians didn't vote. I'm thinking, shame on us. Shame on us. Vote. It's not hard. Get educated. Let a Christian voice be heard. But don't put your hope in the government. Put your hope in Jesus Christ as your king. Psalm 20 is an interesting prayer. It's a prayer for a king. Before he goes out to battle, against a threatening force. Listen to this prayer by the psalmist in Psalm 20. Listen to what he says in verse seven. I'm just gonna read verse seven. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Here's the psalmist, way removed from this initial request of the nation Israel for a king. Here's the psalmist saying, I don't trust in a king. I don't trust in chariots. I don't trust in horses. I trust in the name of the Lord our God. The basic problem of these early Israelites and their request for a king was they were trusting in chariots and horses. They were trusting in earthly kings. They didn't trust God. Um, they, they rather placed their trust in a human being. In other words, they were more willing to trust in themselves than in the Lord God. H.A. Ironside, who ministered for 50 years, 18 years at Moody Memorial Church in Chicago said this, God is looking for broken people, for those who have judged themselves in the light of the cross of Christ. When he wants anything done, he takes up men and women who have come to an end of themselves and who trust, and whose trust and confidence is not in themselves, but in God. That's who God's looking for. So God was given this ancient Israelite community this most wonderful opportunity to live in a life 
uh, to live a life in, in a community under him, under his love, under his leadership. And I agree with Artberg. This is the most wonderful offer since the Garden of Eden. See, in the Garden of Eden, the creation was perfect. Sin busted all that. God comes back and he says, I'm giving you a do-over. I will be your king and we'll build my kingdom on earth through you and you can be under my leadership. But they said, no, we want to live under the leadership of an earthly king. We'd rather trust in chariots and horses. What's the message to you and I? We better live under the kingdom of our God and under the kingly reign of Jesus Christ. We had better not trust in chariots and horses. We had better not put our hope in earthly things because Jesus Christ is building his kingdom and his kingdom is here now and it is us. And the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever, amen? So we trust in Jesus Christ. By the way, there was a cost then to this ask for an earthly king. The demand for a king came with a price. It came with a price. The Israelites thought, we're getting our protector, we're getting a provider, life will be wonderful under this earthly king. Here's what they got instead. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 11 through 16. Samuel said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some you will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. Wow, what a good deal. Doesn't this just make you want to have an earthly king? Did you know in the Middle Ages, many kings would not allow this section of the Bible to be read to their subjects because they feared that they would come to the inevitable conclusion that we don't want an earthly king and that they would then go into rebellion against this rulership. So they wouldn't even allow the reading of that. So we looked at the consequences of getting what you asked for this morning, so to speak. You've got to be careful what you ask for, right? You might just get it, and it may not be what you think it is. So how do you make a right ask? I'm going to end with a couple thoughts on how to make a right ask. One, motives really matter. Motives matter a lot. James tells us motives matter when making an ask of God. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, God... Search my heart and see if there be any wicked or offensive way in it. The ancient Israelites had the wrong motives. They were asking for earthly king so that he would become their source of hope. He would become their source of trust. He would provide for them and protect them and take care of them. They were going down because God would do all those things, but they rather trust flesh and blood. We're not of this world right? Because we follow Jesus Christ. So our motives should reflect that we follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So motives matter. So when you're making an ask of God, check your heart. Ask God to check your heart to give you pure motives, a pure heart. Secondly, if you want to make a right ask of God, seek his will more than wants. Seek his will more than your wants. Just seek his will. 
Oftentimes we go to God, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. But basically what we need to do is just kind of back up and say, God, what do you want to do here in my life? What is your will in my life? What would bring pleasure to you? What would promote your kingdom? And begin to get away from your wants and begin to seek God's will first. And then ask God to align your heart to his heart. Ask God to make his will your will and begin to have kind of a different encounter with God. Seek his will before your wants. By the way, that's a win-win deal. That's a win-win deal when we do that because that's how we're designed to operate, amen? When we align with God's will and his will becomes our will, we're gonna live the best life we can possibly live anyway. And so, if you wanna make an ask of God, realize motives matter, seek his will more than your wants. So at this moment, we're gonna go into a time of communion, but before we do so, I wanna just pray for us, okay? So would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, we are thankful for uh, the truth of of the scripture we looked at today. God, we don't want to be people who ask amiss, so to speak, and get what we want, even though it does harm to our lives. We need to be careful what we ask for, because you may give it to us. God, we want to be people of pure motives, because we know that in you motives matter, and we want to be a people who, who are you know, seeking your will more than our wants. Uh, we just want your kingdom to flourish. God, we uh, don't want to make the mistake of the ancient Israelites. We're not going to place our trust in chariots and horses and an earthly king. God, today we declare you're our king. We trust in you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. That's our prayer today. We pray that we would align with you and that, uh, God, we would uh, do that with, like, laser focus. God, I want to pray for anyone this morning that's going through something difficult, some kind of hardship. Maybe they're having a desert experience right now. Uh, maybe facing something, you know, that's overwhelming. Uh, my prayer is that you wouldn't take them out of it, but that you would exalt yourself through this, that they'd find you and hold on to you more tightly than ever. I know you heal God, and for some of us, that's what's on the horizon. You want to heal us. For some of us, you're just saying, I want to teach you how to stand fast in me and grow in Christ's likeness. And so, Lord, whatever be the case, may we seek your will more than our wants. May that be just a dominant thought process on our minds this next week. God, we do lift up the elections. Your will be done. Whatever happens, we trust in you, though, because you're the sovereign God. You're sovereign over the nations. We are not fear-based people. We do not put our hope in an earthly king, an earthly president. We put our hope in you, Lord Jesus Christ, for your kingdom is eternal. And the kingdoms of this world are becoming your kingdoms. And you're going to reign forever and ever and ever and ever. So we trust in you this day, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.